This program is brought to you by the Provost Teaching Fellows at the University of Texas at Austin. One of my biggest gratitude moments was I was out for a run in the morning and you know Austin and it's hot and it's sweaty and it's the summertime. It's pitch dark at the time I'm running. So I'm going down this hill and I run through a massive swarm of mosquitoes. They are in my hair. They are stuck on my sweat. I am covered with them. (laughs) And I got through the swarm and on the other side of the swarm, there were all these fireflies. And I grew up in Virginia and we used to catch fireflies and it's such a special memory for me. And I get through the swarm of mosquitoes and I realized it was so important for me to recognize that a year before I would have been so caught up with being pissed off about the mosquitoes that I don't think I would have seen the fireflies. So I tell my students it's a firefly moment. Who we are as Holmston, Assistant Professor of Instruction in the College of Liberal Arts. And I'm Dixie Stamforth, Professor of Instruction in the Department of Kinesiology and Health Education. Caitlin Farrell Rodriguez is a PhD candidate at the University of Texas at Austin. She studies the intersection of feminism, modern drama, and performance studies. She's currently the graduate teaching consultant at the Faculty Innovation Center, and she's worked as a writing consultant at the University Writing Center. Caitlin, we are thrilled that you're here with us today, and we love that we are getting the graduate student perspective. But we'd really like to start with your life as a dramaturge. And first, I'm from Virginia. (laughs) I say things funny. Tell me how to say it. And then tell us a little bit about that and what that looks like in your life. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me and for that wonderful introduction, Stephanie and Dixie. I I love that we're starting with theater because I actually think that that's where pretty much everything I do starts with. But my work in dramaturgy, and you said it right, I've also heard it pronounced dramaturg, is really rooted in script analysis and in supporting theatrical productions, vision, making sure that their production is going to be historically accurate. If you're working possibly with a a new play, making sure that you're incorporating the playwright's vision. And I see that work is related often to my teaching and consulting practice as well. Because in all three scenarios, you're really involved in communicating, making sure that different voices are being heard, just making space for different conversations to happen. And so I began that work just before starting here at UT Austin, and and I've worked closely with Austin Shakespeare. They did a production of Tennessee Williams' Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And that was another great intersection with my own research because I spent time at the Harry Ransom Center archive here at UT Austin's campus, looking at some of Williams's drafts. So that was kind of a privilege to be able to look through his materials, bring his voice, as it were, into some of those rehearsals. So thank you for asking about that work. Of course, I love that. And I, I love seeing things intersect like that. You know, everything feels so connected. Can you give us an example? I'm, I'm really intrigued by your talking about how you see that impact your teaching. 
Can you think of an example there that would help that come to life for us? Absolutely. So um, speaking of the archive, I'm very invested in opportunities for experiential learning and active learning for my students. And so when the archive is open, generally at least once a semester, I like to bring my students there. I work with the wonderful curators on staff who are able to pull some materials that intersect with some of the materials that I've assembled on the syllabus. So for example, a couple of years ago, I was teaching a literature and film class. And so we were actually looking at some of um, materials from the archive of the Selznick archive. So some of the film archives there, there's a very robust holdings at the HRC at that Harry Ransom Center. So I think that's an opportunity where actually bringing those artifacts uh, to my students, help them to connect with the course material in a completely new way. It's always one of their favorite field trips and it gives them exposure to a wonderful resource on campus. So That's one way in which I see, I guess, that intersection of film and drama with my teaching, as well as that opportunity for opening up new conversations through experiences. Caitlin, you seem so well-informed, so equipped to make these connections between your profession and your studies and your teaching. This is not how I felt as a graduate student. I felt like I was hanging on for dear life, trying to make it through my <laughs> coursework and hoping to pick up some teaching techniques along the way. So I'm I'm curious about sort of your experience with the graduate student mentoring committee. And I wonder... Tell us an experience that you've had working with a faculty member that maybe was nurturing to you as a graduate student. Absolutely. And Stephanie, that's very kind of you, but I definitely also feel like I'm just hanging on most days as well. But I love that we're talking about mentorship because I think graduate students like me are in a very liminal space where we're both staff, but also students. In a way, we're professional, but we're still professionalizing. And so I think that the generosity of mentors, whether they're faculty members or staff members, is really crucial to our learning process and our growth. And I think for me, a a mentorship relationship that really stands out is actually with Dr. Molly Hatcher, who is one of my supervisors at the Faculty Innovation Center. Uh, Dr. Hatcher is very involved in the Graduate Student Mentoring Committee. And she's been just a very formative presence in my own life. I I really appreciate the ways that she checks in. Maybe that doesn't sound like it's groundbreaking, but I think in relation to mentorship, it really is. I think sometimes as graduate students, we can feel like we're asking for too much. Um, We're reaching out to people who are already very busy or who have already been quite generous with their time. And so I think having a mentor who's able to not just help you professionalize and realize where do I want to go as a teacher, as a scholar, but also how can I make myself available in the same way to people I am mentoring now or will be mentoring in the future. So I'm, I'm very grateful for Dr. Hatcher. If I can add another name in there, uh, Dr. Jim Cox, who I believe is also involved in that mentorship committee. I actually TA'd for Dr. Cox in my second year as a graduate student. And I think just having the privilege of watching him lecture and seeing how collaborative he was with our teaching team has completely framed how I think of my own work when I'm teaching undergrads 
and how I plan to be hopefully in the future if I am able to be a professor. Caitlin, tell me a little bit more about that checking in. What does that look like? Yes, I think sometimes it can just be an email, just a quick message. Hey, how are you doing? Especially after this past year, people have been feeling quite isolated, trying to navigate what it looks like to work from home. Maybe to keep up with uh, research, especially as libraries and archives were closed. Trying to maybe connect with our students, struggling to kind of stay connected to them, to encourage them to reach out to us. So I think I think just a, a quick email, maybe maybe grabbing coffee, that could be a great way to just have an informal conversation. Just creating an atmosphere where it's okay to just have a conversation about where are you at right now? Is there anything that you might need from me? and sometimes a bit of cheerleading. I think Dr. Hatcher is really wonderful at helping me to see what my strengths are on those days when I feel adrift. And so I'm very grateful for the way she checks in on me. Isn't that amazing? It, you know, as you describe it, it's not little at all, is it? It's, it's really huge. And because one of the things that we chatted with Molly about was the ethic of care and pedagogy and the importance of caring and That's really what I'm hearing from you, Caitlin, is that whether it's an email or let's let me just hear what's going on, it's really based out of that care that indicates that that you have a relationship that matters. And I love hearing that story. I I was also struck after you shared about Dr. Cox and this idea of collaborative teaching. I'm often struck by students, graduate students, saying that they were shocked when I asked their opinion (laughs) or I tried to get them to work with me on how we were going to do something. And, And I realized how important it is. What did that look like in the course that you were a TA for? Yes, thank you for asking. So in that particular situation, I was a teaching assistant. And so I worked with Dr. Cox and a team. I think there are about four or five of us total. And I think what really stands out about that collaborative experience was the ways in which Dr. Cox was willing to bring us on as colleagues. So he consulted us about how the students were doing since we were the ones there in the discussion sections, right? Maybe who had a better pulse on how students might be managing with their workload. I I think also the ways in which he was very careful about asking for any feedback we might have on assessments, including us in the lectures when appropriate. And I guess really at the the heart of it, now that I'm talking it through, what really stands out about his mentorship and about that collaborative experience was this idea that we're all part of a team and that there doesn't need to be a, a kind of hierarchy that would be an impediment to being a productive team. So that same kind of generosity and care that we were just talking about with Dr. Hatcher, I saw Dr. Cox modeling that in his interactions with us as TAs and also for his students. Um, He would remember students' names. I remember that very vividly, even though it was a huge lecture class. And um, it was amazing over the course of the semester to just see more and more names that he would remember and bring up in class. And that was a big motivator for me. That was a great model, something that I've done in all of my own classes, although to be fair, they're much smaller. As an instructor of record, I usually only have between 25 and 30 students a semester. So maybe it's not as big of an accomplishment, but it does really change the climate of the classroom. And I think that Dr. Cox just modeled that you can do that effectively, you can scale it up, and you can do it as part of a teaching team and not just as an individual. 
Yeah, I love that you're being mentored well, Caitlin. It's so exciting to hear that. I wonder sometimes, is your sense that graduate students perhaps can connect with students at a different level than faculty and that what you maybe bring to the team is slightly different than what a faculty member is able to get through their own, however powerful they might be, interactions? I think that's a great question because, to be honest, when I first started as a graduate instructor, I was only a couple years older than my students. And I think I struggled with that imposter syndrome of what does it look like to have an authority in the classroom? And and by authority, I don't necessarily mean to be authoritarian, which is not really my personality, but rather just to create a respectful space, right, where students can trust that what they're learning from me is accurate, that if I don't understand something, that I will look it up and get back to them. But I think graduate instructors, to your question, Dixie, sometimes are in a position Perhaps because we are also students where we can connect with our own students on that level, right? We know what it's like to be up working late on a deadline, which isn't to say that faculty members don't also know that experience. But if I think back to my own days as an undergraduate, I think sometimes part of that great respect and that exalting that we do of our professors can make them seem intangible in ways that they aren't necessarily. And so I think sometimes graduate instructors, whether they're TAs or instructors of record themselves, might seem more approachable and accessible to students. And I think especially after this past year, we were just talking about isolation. I think that's even more important if we can kind of serve in that intermediary role or in that role of care and support. That's something, at least for me, that I highly value. And speaking to my colleagues in my program, I think that's a priority for them as well. What is it what is it like in your world to be one who is now getting to mentor other students? Yes, I find mentoring other students to be very rewarding. I like that opportunity to pay it forward. I have been able to be a mentor in a more formal capacity for other TAs in my department. I also helped to spearhead a mentorship program this fall for colleagues in my program who are going to be instructors of record for the first time. So they have that teaing experience, but haven't necessarily designed their own course or managed their own classroom. So I'm quite excited about that opportunity. I I think also it's a great way as a teacher to learn other techniques, right? To be, to observe other people teach and to have that chance to support them definitely, but also I think learn from them and make sure that I keep my mind open, that I'm seeing other ways to model how I can be a more effective teacher. So I really enjoy mentorship. I think it it relates a lot to my eagerness to take on service opportunities as well. I see those being very closely linked, essentially just wanting to make things easier, for lack of a better word, for students. I just think that that's that's always been at the heart of why I care about teaching. And so it's been a real privilege to mentor peer graduate instructors as well. Caitlin, this has been interesting for me to think about these different sort of layers of the life of the university, right? The faculty member, the graduate student, the students. And you've got your eyes wide open to all those levels. And I'm wondering if we can now sort of pivot toward the student. So you've been sort of mentored, nurtured. How do you receive that and then turn it around in your own classroom and make that tangible for your students? 
I think that's a wonderful question, Stephanie. And I think a lot of it has to do with that modeling we've been talking about. So that moment when I see one of my mentors respond with patience and kindness, whether it's directed towards me or someone else in the room, I think that that's a wonderful reminder for me, just how does that impact me, right? And then how can I recreate that elsewhere? I think that this idea of, of paying that kindness forward in terms of mentorship and in terms of serving our students is important. And, and to speak anecdotally, I think that my response sometimes to students who need that kindness maybe, but don't know how to ask for it, has really opened up the ways in which I can learn how to better support them. I notice that they're more willing to reach out for an extension if they don't need to tell me why they need it. And so I've just kind of built that into my own course design to just think about, try to anticipate what their needs are and if possible to meet them proactively, but to create a space where students can also feel comfortable approaching me individually or as a class about something I could be doing better. Can you tell us then a little bit about the flip book? It seems like that might have grown out of some of those ideas that you just shared with us. Absolutely. Yes. So the flip book, it's a list of self-care strategies that it was initially targeted towards students, but I think that the strategies are applicable to faculty and staff as well. But self-care strategies that anyone can use when they're working remotely, um, specifically when they're spending a lot of time in front of the screen and might be feeling a mental and physical fatigue. And this flipbook really stemmed from work that I was doing last fall of 2020 when I was teaching a course called Teaching Fundamentals. It's GRS 097 is that code. And it was my first time teaching peer graduate students. And a lot of these students were TAs for the first time. So they were sort of navigating what does it look like to be a teacher? And what does it look like to be a teacher now during a pandemic um, when I've possibly never taken an online course myself? so I can't even draw from my own experiences as a student. And my peer graduate instructors, my students would come to class each week and we'd sort of brainstorm, you know, okay, this is a new situation, what happens? What happens if my students don't wanna turn on their videos? Or what happens if I can tell something's wrong, but I can't just pull them aside after class in the same way that I would in person. And so I started to work with colleagues at the Faculty Innovation Center, with staff at the Counseling and Mental Health Center, just to try to compile small strategies, anything from taking a walk, a five minute walk around the block to monotasking, focusing on one thing at a time, things that are actually really essential to our sustainability and self-care, but which we might not necessarily think about on the day to day as giving us energy or allowing us to better connect with other people. And so that's kind of where that flipbook came from, was really just a desire to care for my students and by extension their students. And then it was just a real privilege to see how it circulated around campus and just hearing anecdotally from people who have really benefited from some of those strategies. Well, and congratulations on the Tonic Award for that work. I think that that speaks to the value of it. And you mentioned earlier that that you love bringing experiential learning into the classroom. And this seems like exactly what that is, is you're taking those experiences and now you've created something that reaches out to help others. And it, it's awesome that, that you have been able to do that in the midst of these challenging times. What are some things from that self-care book that are going to carry forward, things that you're going to be able to continue to integrate into your mentoring and teaching? 
I think that's a great question. It's something that's really been on my mind as we're thinking about what it looks like to take some more accessible practices that came out of online or hybrid teaching and bringing them back into a physical space of a classroom. Something that I think I definitely want to use moving forward is more opportunities for students to reflect. One of the main ideas that came up in these conversations with colleagues was this idea of gratitude. What am I thankful for today, right? No matter how stressful it is or how tired I am, what am I grateful for in terms of an interaction or something I was able to do? And so this ties back to our prior discussion about checking in, right? Just in the same way mentors are checking in with their mentees, teachers checking in with their students, giving them space at the top of class, you know, maybe jot down, how are you feeling right now? Or what are you grateful for today? And if it ties to course content, even better. But even if it's just a quick moment to kind of have a self-care check-in, that's something that I'm excited to bring forward and hopefully will help cultivate that idea of caring and how we can care for our students moving forward. You know, I'm also thinking as you were talking, Caitlin, you know, you can see my my guest room now. You can maybe see a dog scurry through. Those moments when we were on Zoom in class invited students, as you suggested, it gave me an opportunity to be human when I really didn't even have to plan for it, right? What am I going to do when I go in person? I'm not going to bring my dog into Mezzi's. So I'm wondering, how do I bring that humanity back in when it used to just jump in itself in the Zoom environment? Oh, I love that. And I think that also ties back to we started our conversation today talking about theater. And that makes me think of performance. Teaching over Zoom, we lose that ability to curate what our classroom looks like. And I think that that's opened up opportunities for, as you mentioned, Stephanie, humanity or joy even to pop through, finding ways, you know, I've got a little doctrine too. I'm surprised he's not in here yet, but, you know, he's made my students laugh with his various antics. And I think sometimes I just try to focus on how did that feel in that moment? So originally I used to feel embarrassed, right? If, if I couldn't curate a perfectly quiet environment. And then I realized that, no, this is actually a point of empathy for my students and trying to think about where was my mindset, right? When I was worried about a noise coming in or I was worried about an internet connection and trying to find ways to reassure students that whatever happens today is the way that class is supposed to be and we're just going to roll with it. Maybe for me, at least it's more about that mindset. So even if we can get back into our professional spaces, just trying to think about those moments we couldn't perfectly curate and that it's okay for us as educators to be people and it's important for us to model that for our students. I can see why Molly recommended that we talk with you because your maturity is exceptional. And I've learned so much from the things that you've shared with us. As Stephanie and I have talked about, what we really want to know at the end of all of this is, is really, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Where are you headed on this, this journey that you've started here and that will continue? That's a wonderful question. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm a bit of a, a bit of a dreamer. Um, so sometimes it's hard for me to try to, to anchor myself in, in a concrete next steps. I think I try to find joy, um, in a lot of different types of things. I, I started this journey in theater, as we talked about at the top of the interview. 
I think I'd be very happy doing dramaturgical work, script analysis work. But I, I think that uh, really any place in which I can teach and serve is a place where I will be happy. And so um, it would be wonderful to be a professor, but I, I also, I've been so fortunate in my work at the Faculty Innovation Center to think about how many different ways there are to support students that may be outside of a classroom. Um, it may involve mentoring or supporting peer instructors. I try to keep my mind as open as possible and, and just see where is there a need? Where is there a space where someone who is ready to listen and ready to serve might be best suited to be? And then I try to do my best to get to that space. Caitlin, we are so delighted that you've shared your story with us today. And I think if I could sum it up, I really hear you talking about servant leadership. That just actually brings me up, chokes me up a little bit because I really sense that that, that is who you are. And it's exciting to think about the years ahead and, and how you're going to be able to lead through serving. And it's it's a gift to every one of us and all of your students. And, and I just imagine that no matter where you end up, that you will continue to do that and it will be a beautiful life. Well, thank you so much. And thank you again, Dixie and Stephanie, for having me. It's such a privilege to be here. Thank you for your podcast and your work here um, on UT campus. And I hope our paths will cross again very soon. We are confident they will. Very good. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. You've been listening to The Other Side of Campus, a production of the Provost Teaching Fellows at the University of Texas at Austin. Our executive producer is Mary Newberger. Our producer is Michelle Daniel. And our music and sound design are by Charlie Harper Music at charlieharpermusic.com. For more information, please visit us online at texasptf.org. We hope you'll join us next time on The Other Side of Campus. Thank you. Thank you.